Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, before we start with the video, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Anchor, our, our sponsor of this video. They're our podcasting host website. They're amazing. Let me tell you, it's free. They'll distribute your podcast for you like they did for us, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many other sites. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership at all, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one single place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now, or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Chum Chat. Uh, it's a great episode today. We got a, a little a friend of mine on. Uh, the, this guy y'all might know. Uh, his name's Dabo uh, Sweeney. He, he, he coaches a football team up in South Carolina. Uh, and that's pretty much it about him. But uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to dive in today, asking him some questions and see uh, if he has any good answers. He's kind of shy. He doesn't like to talk much, but uh, we'll see if he can give us <laughs> answers today. But uh, how you, how you doing during this quarantine, Coach? Uh, doing well with your family and everything like that? How's it going? Yeah, it's good. Uh, got my quarantine beard going a lot like you do right now. And, and let, me, let, me, let me help you with that intro. Not just a team in South Carolina, Clemson. Clemson. Oh, all right? There's a big – you left out a major part right there. All right? <laughs> for your, for all your right. audience. And, I, I mean, I'm assuming this is going nationwide. And we've got some big-time sponsors, you know. Like, hey, we watched 10 Cup the other night. You know, when 10 Cup got to go to the U.S. Open, he had all these sponsors, you know, like Waffle House and, you know, whatever, Joe's Truck Stop. And, you know, so we need some we need some sponsors. We've got to get the sponsorship up for the Chum Chat. I know. We're working, you're right. We're working on it. Well, first of all, Coach, I wanted to thank you for, for joining us today. Yeah. And just, you know, for our, for our viewers, could you just share your story of – you know, you, you were a player at Alabama, eventually a coach at Alabama, went to real estate, went to Clemson, was an assistant coach, and then eventually was the head coach at Clemson. So could you just, you know, kind yep. of story and then what your, your key lessons you learned along your way? Yeah, well, uh, grew up in Pelham, Alabama. Uh, it was a small town when I was there. It's grown a little bit now, but south of Birmingham and uh, went, to, went to Alabama, as you said, and decided to walk on the football team and uh, – Ended up earning a scholarship and lettered three years. And my senior year, uh, won the national championship. And then uh, wasn't quite good enough to make it to the next level. And so my coaches uh, asked me to be a graduate assistant and get my master's. So, so I stayed and uh, got my MBA. And I was a grad assistant coach. And I never really thought about coaching, to be honest with you. And uh, so, but it just was very natural. And I loved it. So I did that for three seasons, uh, 93, four, and five. And then, uh, and then February of 96, <clears throat> Coach Gene Stallings uh, hired me to be the full-time uh, receiver coach uh, and tight ends at the time. So I was coaching receivers and tight ends. And so I coached with him, and then he retired, and I got retained by the new coach, uh, Mike Dubose. I coached with him. All the way through 2000, he got let go. And so spring of 01, I was without a job. I was 30 and uh, <clears throat> two kids trying to figure out, you know, what's next and, and tried to get a bunch of different jobs. Just just couldn't get couldn't get hired for whatever reason. And uh, uh, so 
had a guy reach out to me. He was actually uh, a coach in the late 80s at Alabama when I first went there. And he had since uh, <clears throat> gotten in the, the shopping center uh, real estate uh, development uh, business. And, uh, and so he asked me if I wanted to come work with him. And I didn't have a job. And so I joined him in uh, April of 01. I went to work with Rich Wingo at, at a company at the time called AIG Baker, <clears throat> which was a shopping center development company. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm all over the country from Las Vegas to Colorado to Kansas, you know, all over uh, working on shopping centers. And uh, we, we, we would build these big, you know, big shopping center places with big tenants. And, and so I started learning that business. So I did that for uh, the 01 season and the 02 season. So I was out of coaching those two years. And then in, in uh, early February of 03, Tommy Bowden reached out uh, and asked if I was interested in getting back in coaching and going to Clemson. And so uh, I said, yeah. So loaded up, moved to Clemson, South Carolina, February of 03. And uh, had a, at the time had a, a four-year-old, three-year-old. And, uh, and then my youngest, Clay, was born there. So I'm about to start. I was an assistant for five and a half years. And then in the middle of the 08 season, uh, they made a change with Tommy Bowden as the head coach and made me the interim head coach to finish out the year. And, you know, we just kind of did well enough to where they said, you know what, we want to give this guy a chance permanently. So I got the job after the season and uh, the rest is history. So I'm going on my 18th year at Clemson and my 12th as the head coach. Uh, so it's been an unbelievable journey and learned lots of lessons along the way. Probably just, you know, two big things I would say uh, that I think are very relevant, especially to uh, a younger age group that I learned both as a player and as a coach. Um, so my sophomore year at Alabama, um, you know, Tuesday practice. So my, my, my red shirted, my red shirt freshman year, I played in one game. So I'm just a scout team guy. I'm just a grinder. And my sophomore year, <clears throat> it's about the fourth, fourth or fifth game of the year. And it's just a Tuesday practice. I'm, I'm over there on scout team, you know, just doing my thing. And, and uh, all of a sudden, the equipment guy comes and gets me and says that, that Coach McCorvey, the receiver coach, wanted to see me over on the offensive field because I was over with the defense. And uh, so I have no idea what I'm going. I'm going over there to, to see this coach. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out, did I miss a class? I'm, I don't know what I did wrong because this guy's never said my name. And, uh, and so I get over there, and he, he puts his arm around me, and he says, hey, he said, I've been watching you. And he said, uh, I'm tired of these guys, blah, 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 blah. And he said, hey, I'm going to give you a shot today. He said, if you do well, you're going to play this Saturday. Just like that, out of the blue. And, uh, and so the lesson in that is two things. One is, even though I wasn't playing, even though I wasn't getting the opportunity, I had been preparing for my opportunity. And so the lesson is you got to prepare for your opportunity, all right, even if it never comes. Better to be prepared without an opportunity than to be prepared, not be prepared with one. And so I had put in the work. I knew my plays. Man, I had been grinding. I had made my mind up that I was just going to bloom where I was planted. You know what? If, if I was going to be a scout team, I was going to be the best scout team receiver that had ever come through there. And everybody was going to know my name. 
They were going to recognize my work ethic. That was just my mindset. I quit worrying about all the stuff I didn't control. And I started focusing on what I did control. And I got my attitude right uh, because my attitude wasn't very good the year before. And I just, I just quit worrying about that. And I said, you know what? If this is my role, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. And, I'm, and if I may never get a chance, but when I do, I'll be ready. And I put the work in. And I knew I was good enough, but I just didn't know if I'd get the opportunity. And so the two things in that is, one, be prepared for your opportunity, and two, bloom where you're planted because you never know who's watching. And I had no idea that he, Coach McCorvey, because he had only been there a year and the previous spring. I didn't even get to play in the spring game. He didn't give me any reps. He didn't give me any reps in fall camp. And so I didn't even think he knew my name. And, but he was paying attention. And so you never know who's watching. So it's so important that whatever, you, whatever it is you do, you do it to the very best of your ability. Somebody's going to pay attention sooner or later. That's number one. And then number two, be prepared for the opportunity. So you take that lesson. So I go on. I played that weekend, just like he said, and I never went back to the scout team. I, I got on scholarship. I've led those three years. I played on a national championship. And then they hired me as a coach. All right. And fast forward to October of 08. So now I'm, 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 I'm that, was, that was in 1990. All right. So now 18 years later. 2008 I come to work on a Monday October 13th we're playing Georgia Tech that weekend middle of the season we're three and three all right people were mad it wasn't a very good environment at the time and we had a staff meeting that morning at 7 a.m and I actually had the devotion it was my day to kind of do the devotion that morning and uh we go on about our business well about 10:45 or so uh 10 30 the the operations guy walks in our offensive staff meeting and says, hey, Coach Bowden needs to see the whole staff in the staff room. And we're like, well, that's kind of – it was kind of weird because we'd already had a staff meeting. So now we, we go in the staff room, and he walks in, and he tells us that he's he's going to be moving on and, and that they're making a change, and he'd be talking to us soon. And so he he walks out, and the AD walks in. All right, I, I, I'm an assistant. I don't have a relationship with the AD. The AD walks in and just says, hey, we're making a change, and, and uh, this is what we think's best. And, you know, I expect all y'all to do the very best you can. I know it's a tough situation. And he said, uh, with that, and he looked at me and he said, Dabo, you're now the head coach. You call all the shots. I need to see him office in five minutes. All right? So, so just like that, right? just like that Tuesday practice back in Alabama in 1990, this is a Monday, October 13th in 2008, in the middle of the season. And I had, but, but the two things that stayed with me, from the day I got into coaching in 93, I prepared to be a head coach. I didn't know if I'd ever be a head coach, but I prepared. I learned. I, I, I started putting a little book together. I, if I ever got a shot, I wanted to be ready. I wanted to know, hey, here's my philosophy. Here's my beliefs. Here's my, my academic beliefs here's my discipline here whatever it is here's how I would practice and I had kind of worked on that all these years all right so but the second part is when I go down to meet with this man in his office I walk in and I'm thinking he's gonna tell me hey do the best you can I'll try to keep you or I'll try to get the next guy to keep you or whatever and you know blah 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 I walk in I sit down in his office and he looks at me and he says Dabo I want you to be the head coach for the next seven weeks I don't want you to be the interim and I'm looking at him. He goes, 
He goes, and what I, whatever you think you need to do to fix this, I'm going to support you. You can fire the whole staff, whatever it is you think we need to do. He goes, but here's what I believe. I've watched you for five and a half years, and you're ready for this job, number one. And number two, I'd love to see you get this job. And, that, and so all of a sudden, I walk in with one mindset like, oh, it's just going to be miserable. To he's telling me, he's telling me that he wants me to get the job. Now, I'm going to hire the best guy, but you got an opportunity to go prove it these next seven weeks. And I don't want you to be an interim. I want you to be the head coach, and this is your opportunity. He goes, but I've watched you, and I think you've got a chance to be a great head coach. And he started telling me, I watch how you handle your players. I watch how you do uh, with the community. I've watched how you are with your family. I watch how you discipline your guys. I've watched you in recruiting. He starts telling me. So the point is, bloom where you're planted. You never know who's watching. You never know who's paying attention. So many people get so busy worried about the next thing, especially in my profession. You know, maybe they're an assistant and they, they're, they're, they'll take a bad job just so they can be a coordinator. All right. And, and, or they'll, they'll take a bad head job just so they can be a head coach as opposed to, just be great with whatever it is you're doing. Don't worry about all these things you don't control. And if you do that, people will notice that. So be prepared for your opportunity and bloom where you're planted because somebody's always watching. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. I think uh, all of us have kind of taken on that role of blooming where we're possum as I, as I moved to, to Texas and kind of came up and Judson did the same thing. And now Johan, is a, he's in uh, Portugal, if you didn't know, Coach. But, uh, uh, yeah, we talked to Will last week. And uh, we had Will on. I know you listened to some of that episode, but uh, he told us. Hang uh, on, Tanner. Hang on, Tanner. I'm gonna try to switch. I'm gonna switch my Wi-Fi. I think I need to switch. Right. Hang on. All right, I got you, Tanner. All right. So we we, we talked to Will um, last week about a bunch of things. I know you listened to the episode or some of it. Um, he 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 told me to mention about the Discover credit card and the loan that you received last minute. Could you, could you tell us that story? He said it was a good one. Could you just tell us that story to kind of yeah. help us understand? Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. So uh, my, so fall of 89, all right? So I went to Alabama in the fall of 88 with Pell Grants and student loans. I didn't have, I had no money, no one to help me. And, uh, but I got a full Pell Grant and I took out student loans. And so I went to school fall of 88 and you know, my wife, Kathleen. So she was a year behind me. So fall of 89, she's now coming to Tuscaloosa and I'm in training camp. I'm in two and A's. And, and I, at the time I, I had deferred my tuition. I was waiting to get my, my Pell Grant money and, and all my loan money. But back in those days, and, and even today it's, it's different, but, but back then I had to physically get, I, I would, I used my dad's taxes because he really had no income. And so that allowed me to get the most money. So, and he, I, I, it just, he just, I took me forever to get his tax returns from him. So I was late putting in my application for my Pell Grant and all my stuff. So anyway, uh, we go through two a days and it's like two days, it's like two days before school starts. And back in those days, you had to actually go over to the Coliseum, the basketball Coliseum, and you had to get in a line. Like if you were letter S, you'd go to that line and your last name, and, and you would stand there and you would have to meet with a person and they would apply your financial aid and give you your schedule. That's when you could get your schedule and all that stuff. And so, so I've been through all these two-a-days and I get over there and I wait in line 
to get my schedule and I get up there to get my, my financial aid because my financial aid is what's paying for my school uh, between my student loan and my Pell Grant. And so I get up there and the lady looks at me and, and, and she says, well, I don't show any financial aid. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, I have financial aid. I, I had it last year. I got it. And as, as it turned out, you know, we had gotten it in late and it had not been processed far enough to where they could, they could even, they could see it. And so the lady looks at me, I'll never forget it. And I was two months behind on my rent with, with my landlord, Mr. Cotton, but he was a good guy and he knew I was getting my money on this day and I was going to come pay it. And, uh, and so the lady looks at me and, and she says, I'm sorry. She said, listen, the only, the only thing that, that, that I can offer you is, you know, you, you've got to at least pay half your tuition uh, uh, by tomorrow or your schedule's canceled. You and we can, you can pay, you got, and so now I'm, I don't have half my tuition, even though the tuition was only like, it was like $1,150 a semester back in those days uh, for just tuition. And so I needed about 550 bucks, uh, 600 bucks, uh, like right then. And, and I didn't have, I didn't have that. And I'm like, I mean, I might as well have been 6 million. And so, so uh, I just remember going back to my apartment. I was tired. I'd been through two weeks, two a days, Cass in town. She's getting ready to enter school. She's doing, I'm, and I'm just kind of, man, I just remember calling my mom. She was working at a mall back in Birmingham and, I told her what was going on and I just, and I just, you know, I just, I, I mean, she cried, I cried. And I just, finally, I just said, you know what? The one thing that I've always felt like in life is that we got control of our attitude and there's just certain things. And, and I was growing in my faith. I had gotten saved when I was 16 and I was starting to, now I'm like 19 and I'm just like, and I told my mom, I said, you know what, mom? I said, Hey, if, I guess, you know, I'll just have to come back to Birmingham and I'll just get a job. I'll work, I'll save some money and, and I'll try to come back to school in January and uh, this and that. And I, and I just, I just kind of hung up the phone with her, prayed about it and just kind of just, you know, just like, this is just what my reality is. This is what it is. I'm just going to not going to be able to play this year. I'm just going to have to go home and work. And so I get up after I sat there for a few minutes and I just decided to walk out to our mailbox. You know, I was in a little apartment. And we had these little mailbox, little central mailbox area with a little key. And I opened up my little mailbox thing. There was a bunch. I pulled out all the paper in there. And there was pizza coupons and all kind of crap in there. And I just came in my apartment, threw it down. And, uh, and it was just junk mail. But there was one envelope. And it had Discover on the top of the envelope. And so I opened it up. And I remember, this is, this is 1989. All right, so I opened up the envelope, and it was a letter. It was, it was a, a typed letter, and then at the bottom of the letter, it was, it was two checks, like perforated checks, two checks attached to the letter. And so I opened up the letter, and it just says, hey, congratulations, blah, 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 blah. And it says, it says uh, uh, we've started a new program here at Discover. We've started a new program called Discover Checks. And... Uh, for those in good standing, please feel free to write one of these checks, just like a normal check for up to your credit limit. And I, I'm like, I'm reading, I'm going, what? I, I don't understand what they're talking about. I've never heard of a discover check, you know? Uh, and so yeah. I thought it was some kind of scam or something. And it said, if you have any questions, call 1-800-DISCOVER. And so I called 1-800-DISCOVER and the lady answers the phone. 
And I just, and I, she's like, um, I, she asked me for my information. And, and I was like, yes, ma'am. I said, I got this letter. I said, I don't really understand. I said, cause I don't have a discover card. I don't have a credit card. And, uh, and she goes, well, give me your name and number. So I give her all my stuff. And then she comes back and she goes, she goes, well, we showed that we issued you a credit card back in. And I'm like, and so now I'm panicked. I'm like, what? What do you mean? I don't have a credit. And so now I'm thinking it might have gotten sent to a relative. It's probably, you know, used it or now I'm in debt. I had no idea. And I'm going, I don't have it. And she goes, oh, it was actually returned. We had a wrong address. I went, I went, what? I said, you mean I got a credit card? And she said, yes, you were a part of our, our good student program or whatever. And, and, uh, and I was like, I have a credit card? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, I said, you're telling me I can just write these checks for anything I want to write it for? She goes, yeah, just like a personal check. She goes, but only up to your credit limit. And I said, well, well what's my credit limit? And she said, $1,000. And I went, what? I mean, that's all happened in about a 15-minute span from tears, talking to my mom, going out, coming in now. And I owed my landlord and I owed half the tuition. And this all happened in about a 15 minute span. And I went from, I mean, and that's one, that was one of my moments early in life where I knew that God had his hands on me and that he was in control. And, and I, I took, I, it was unbelievable. I ripped it off and I went, I mean, I started screaming on the phone, this lady, she probably, I, I would love to get a recording. I'm sure Discover has it somewhere. And I'm like, what? I said, you mean, oh, yeah. she goes, she's just laughing at me. So I went right over there back to, I wrote Mr. Cotton a check for about, I don't know, 380 bucks. And then I wrote University of Alabama, like 600 bucks. I'm a thousand dollars in debt, but my, I'm good. I'm in school. And, and that's my Discover card story. And so the crazy thing is, Fast forward later on in my life, I knew without a doubt, without a doubt, that we were going to win the Orange Bowl because we, we, we got beat in 2011, all right? But they, they got a new sponsor, and it was – guess who their new sponsor of the – it used to be the FedEx Orange Bowl and all that, but, but they got a new sponsor, and it was called the Discover Orange Bowl, Discover Card Orange Bowl. And so – in 2013, I told guys, I said, we're going to the Orange Bowl. And I said, and we're going to win it. And uh, so I got to tell this story to the CEO of Discover Card, and he loved it. And I, wow. and I actually did a little story. I did a little thing for the employees of Discover, uh, just kind of encouraging them. They never know who they're talking to and what joy that they could bring their customers. Because uh, this lady just changed my life that day. And uh so we did win the Discover Card Orange Bowl in 2013. We beat Ohio State. And I knew we were going to win it before we ever got down there. Uh, it was just, just kind of full circle, uh, that Discover Card. Wow, that's I've, been a member, awesome. I've been a member since 1989. <laughs> 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 that's it on my card. You know, it's, it's funny, Coach, because, you know, you said you were late on your payments to your landlord. You were late on getting some papers in. But from whatever, from what Tanner says and what his dad says is, is you don't like to be late. And, and from what I've heard, it, it all goes back to, uh, you know, your Alabama walk-on days and, and you missed a practice and, and you had to run until you're almost, almost dead and passed out. So, so how, yeah. did that, how did that, you know, obviously it affected yeah. you not late anymore. Yeah, back in those days, if you weren't traveling, we would have a full scrimmage at 5.30 a.m., full pads, 
5.30 a.m. on Fridays. It was crazy. Like, they'd put us in jail if we tried to do something like that now. So if you were not, if you were non-travel, you had to come over there, full pads, 5.30 a.m., on the turf, all right? Every Friday we would do this. And the coaches would be there and all this. It was crazy. And so just somehow one Friday morning, my, my this, was, this would have been – this was that same fall, fall of 89. Uh, I'm a redshirt freshman. And I had my alarms, and for some reason, I woke up and it was 7 a.m. And I went, I mean, it, you know that feeling like you're just your whole my just my heart dropped. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, well, they probably won't even know I was there. I, they didn't even, they won't even miss me. Like, you know, who am I? They, they don't even know who I am. And so I mean, there's 150 people on the team, they ain't gonna miss me. So I show up Monday to practice, and Mondays are light days. They had played the game, and nobody said anything to me, nothing, nothing. I'm like, all right, I'm good. So I come Tuesday, we're in full pads, and I'm in flex. We're stretching. All of a sudden, uh, the strength coach comes over to me, Rich Wingo, the same guy who ended up hiring me in my real estate life years later. All right, this is, this is fall of 89. Same guy that I went to work for uh, back in 01. He comes over to me in flex. He's a former Green Bay Packer linebacker, and he walks over and he goes, Mr. Sweeney, you'll be with me when flex is over. And I'm like, uh, yes, sir. And I'm going, crap. And so he put – so the entire practice, I'm in full pads, he, he literally tried to run me off. And he told me, he said, I'm going to try to run you off today. And it was unbelievable. I mean, he, it's a miracle that I lived, uh, to be honest with you. I think about <laughs> that now. I mean, I would, I would be sued so bad if I did something like that. But, but I made it – in fact, my teammates kind of carried me off the field and into my locker room. And in fact, I think that day was one of the days that I probably earned a lot of respect because he really did try to run me off. And uh, the next day, I couldn't go to class the whole next day. I was so sore and just, I mean, I was exhausted. But I come to practice the next day, same thing, I'm in flex lines. Coach Wingo comes up to me and he, he says, Mr. Sweeney, I want you to come lead us in flex today. So I'm this red shirt freshman walk on that no one knows. So the next day I'm up in front of the team, you know, leading us in jumping jacks and all that. But yeah, that's uh, that was one of those one of those moments where I was really tested, but I didn't quit and uh, hung in there. And I think uh, that was one of the reasons that because I was only with Coach Wingo that fall of '89, and he was gone, and I didn't see him again until '01 when I went to work for him. But I think that was something that that uh, resonated with him. Uh, years later. That's crazy. Yeah, so I want to go ahead and change the subject a little bit, uh, talking about kind of how you are and uh, your fame, obviously. So a lot of people see how famous you are and, and kind of how you're a role model for people, and that's something that they want to do. Everyone wants to be famous, obviously, but a lot of people don't know the downsides that come with that. So for you, are there downsides? Is it maybe the travel, spending time with your family, or the constant scrutiny, or, or what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, there's there's so many blessings about my job. I mean, unbelievable. I could I could I, I could spend all day listening to blessings, but there are a lot of negatives too, and and that is what a lot of people don't see. You know, I always say it's you know everybody 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 sees game day and and all these type of things and wins and but man, it's so so much more than that. I mean, the 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 amount of work that it takes. Um, the amount of time 
there, there is a, there is, even though I feel like we have a good balance with our families and that's the environment that I try to create there at Clemson. Um, but it was a grind uh, to get to this point. But I would say the biggest thing is just constant criticism. Uh, when you, when you have a platform, when you, have had so-called success uh, in, in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, a lot of scrutiny comes with that and a lot of criticism. And so, you know, you got to have thick skin, man. Uh, it doesn't matter. Listen, there's, there's, there's going to be people. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. They're going to hate you. Uh, they're not going to like you. It doesn't matter. You, you, it just doesn't matter. And so you have to accept that. And, and not let that steal your joy. Um, but, I mean, every word you say is going to be magnified. And so I look at that as a positive. It's, it's a negative in that they're just, they're, there's that aspect of it, just constant criticism, constant manipulation of your words or the intent of your words and so forth. It's just constant. Uh, but I also look at that as a blessing because, you know that you have an opportunity with your platform to use it in a, in a, in a positive way. And uh, so that's what I try to do, but that's, that's probably one of the biggest negatives is just, uh, you know, just the, the, the unwarranted criticism. And, and then what time a lot of people will, they may ask you a question and you try to answer it in an honest, transparent way and they don't like your answer, so then they will blast you for your answer. Um, and even, you just tried to be honest. And so, or they will attach their agenda to what you want to say. So there's some negatives. Um, but, you know, listen, I love my job. I love what I do. I love competing. It's the next best thing to play in, what I get a chance to do, uh, you know, because I, I couldn't play anymore. And I still love being a part of a team. I still love to compete. I felt like I had a lot of knowledge that I could give and offer and help. I had, I had that's, that's, that's what helped me be a good player. And, uh, and I just, I just, I don't know, coaching kind of gave me clarity of life, if you will. It made, it made, it made me make sense of my life. And, uh, and so, you know, I love it. Wouldn't want to do anything else. Uh, but, uh, and there's way, way, way more good than bad. And when I got into coaching, I didn't get into coaching to make money. That's the other thing. Uh, I made a very clear decision when I got into coaching in 90. Coaches didn't make hardly any money. And, and my, my mindset was, you know, hey, my wife's a school teacher. I'm going to coach football. It's what I want to do. That's what I love to do. We'll make a good living. But, you know, I never in a million years uh, dreamed that one day I would, you know, have the financial blessings that, that I've been able to have. Um, but that's what I tell people though, listen, just do what you love, man. Do what you're passionate about and, and all those things, uh, will take care of themselves. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.